You're listening to Goat Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Island of Misfit Noise. This is the Goat Rodeo Variety Show. I'm your host, Ian Enright, and you're listening to the very first of this very special project. Coming to you from Goat Rodeo Studios in our nation's capital, the Goat Rodeo Variety Show is here to bring you the bass and treble from the waveforms of all things interesting. Each week, we bring you vignettes, stories, and segments handpicked by the Goat Rodeo team. Today, you'll hear a failure a dispatch, a candid conversation, and of course, much more. Every episode is a little different. Every show is unique, like a snowflake. Some pieces are a little out there, but we like out there, and we like different, and that's what you're going to hear today. But enough stalling. You're listening to the Goat Rodeo Variety Show. graduated college, I moved back to D.C., and like any underemployed liberal arts major, I decided to focus my time and energy on finding love. (laughs) The first thing that I did as part of this plan was join a soccer team, as you do when you're looking for love. The plan was not successful. Most of the passes my teammates made were actual passes. (laughs) And even that didn't happen very often. (laughs) Because the patriarchy. (laughs) Uh, One night we were playing and I was running up the center of the field and one of my teammates crossed the ball in from the side. And I realize the ball's coming right at me, and I think, this is my chance. I'll kick this ball, I'll score a goal, I'll finally prove myself as a soccer player, and some guy on my team will finally notice me and think, she's a really good soccer player. (laughs) Maybe she should be my girlfriend. So I run up, I kick the ball, I hit it one touch, and it sails off my foot. And for a second, I know it's a goal. And then it hits a defender's shin, ricochets up, and hits me in the face. (laughs) And the vision in one eye instantly goes dark. And I know it's bad because my uh, fellow girl teammates are coming up to me and I'm covering my eye and they're like, show us, show us. And I'm like, no, I think I'm okay. I'll just, I'll just keep playing like this. It's fine. And, and then they, they get me to take my hand away and I do. And they look at me and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> you, it's fine. You'll be fine. You, you look great. So I go to the emergency room 
And I see the on-call ophthalmology resident. And as he's examining my eye, he's asking me where I'm from and what I do. At the time, I was a temp at NPR, and my only task was editing old web copy for a new website, which really just involved deleting Oxford commas. <laughs> so I tell the eye doctor, you know, I, I call myself the serial comma killer. And he laughed in a way that indicated, A, he knew what a serial comma was, and B, that he set a very low bar for puns. <laughs> and somewhere through it, the haze of fear and a concussion, I thought, he likes grammar too. Nice. <laughs> my eye doctor tells me that my eye is seriously injured. Um, it, my eye's bleeding and the pupil's being obscured by blood, which is why I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> And while it heals, I'll have to wear an eye patch <laughs> and go on bed rest and come back in for daily appointments because if anything goes wrong, I could go blind permanently. So every day I'd come in and the eye doctor would say something like, you know, I listened to NPR on my way in today. I don't know how they've survived so long without you. And we'd laugh because we both knew I wasn't important. <laughs> and then I would follow up with really specific questions about ophthalmology because I spend a lot of time on WebMD ordinarily and having something diagnosably wrong with me had only lent a sense of purpose to my hobby. <laughs> And it was during these daily appointments I started to realize that my eye doctor was literally and figuratively a sight for sore eyes. <laughs> and not only that, but through offhand comments and internet research, I learned... <laughs> I learned we had a lot in common. <laughs> he grew up in Maryland, I grew up in DC. Based on graduation dates, I estimated his age to be somewhere between 28 and 31. I was 22, which is also an age. <laughs> Before going to med school, he taught high school. Around that same time, I attended high school <laughs> as a student. He was a doctor, I was a hypochondriac. We just made sense. At the time, I had these very indulgent roommates and every night at dinner, we would discuss the subtext of that day's appointment. <laughs> and I would say things like, you know, I think my eye doctor likes me because he always asks me how I'm feeling. <laughs>
and he wants to know when he's going to see me again. <laughs> and like, sometimes when we're together, like, we don't even have to talk. <laughs> we can just gaze deeply into each other's eyes. <laughs> now, what my roommate should have said was, that's because he's your eye doctor. <laughs> Instead, what they said was, of course he likes you. You're great. We love you. My roommates also were my parents. One night, I suffered a setback, and my roommate father had to rush me to the hospital <laughs> at, at 2 a.m. And after the doctor was done checking me out, he said, you know, we have to stop meeting like this. And my dad and I look at each other, and we're like, nice. <laughs> because obviously, that means that we should start meeting in some other way. Like, at a bar for drinks, or to meet his parents, or at the church where we're getting married. <laughs> and so, I begin to think, maybe that crossed soccer ball wasn't my chance to impress the soccer guys. Maybe it was my chance to meet my eye doctor. Maybe the ball that blinded me is actually Cupid's arrow. Maybe this is my destiny. So a couple weeks later, as my final appointment arrived, and it became time to say goodbye to my doctor forever, I decided that instead, I would ask him out. And I talked to a lot of people, friends, family members, roommates, <laughs> and we brainstormed a plan. Um, one of the first plans that we discussed was that during my final vision test, I should just say, sorry, Doc, all I can see is you and I. <laughs> Which, while it had flair, and appealed to my doctor's appreciation of bad puns, that plan had to be rejected because that sentence is grammatically unsound. <laughs> and grammar was like our thing. <laughs> so what we settled on was that I should hand him a business card on my way out and then just say, you know, since you're not my doctor anymore, and waltz out with the implications still hanging in the air. <laughs> which, which had the advantage of minimizing the window for an in-person rejection. <laughs> the day of the appointment arrived, I borrowed a dress from my youngest roommate sister. <laughs> and it, it was just a little too tight and a little too short because she was 14. 
and I was an adult. Uh, but the important thing was that it had a pocket into which I then put my business card, which actually was not a business card because I was a temp. <laughs> what it was was a card that we had stuck in my high school graduation announcements, and it was, it was shaped like a business card, but all it had on it was my engraved full name. And I had painstakingly handwritten my number next to it. So I get, to the, I get to the doctor's office and the attending doctor, Dr. Wilson, is standing there with my doctor boyfriend, <laughs> which is not a part of the plan. And then she goes on to explain all of the things that are still wrong with my eye, which is really not a part of the plan. And as she's explaining the complications, I start to panic. I'm thinking, oh my god, like if I go back to playing soccer, I'll have to wear rec specs, so I'll never meet anyone that way. And my, my pupils might stay two different sizes, and symmetry is something we subconsciously look for in a mate. I'm damaged goods, I'll never find love. This is my last chance. And Dr. Wilson walks out, and my doctor fiance looks at me. And he says, do you need me to explain that to you again? And he does. And as he's explaining this the second time, I put my hand in my pocket, and I start to turn the card over and over. And as I'm turning the card, a thought occurs to me. And it's that this plan is really inappropriate. <laughs> like, I think this qualifies as workplace harassment which is upsetting because always when I had pictured harassment in the workplace, I thought I'd be the victim, not the perpetrator. <laughs> and then I think, well, I don't have to go through with this. Like, I don't have to do this. And then, but, I don't, but no, I've, I've told too many people. I wrote a letter to my grandmother. <laughs> and I realized that when my doctor husband stops talking, I'll have to execute this plan that I'm losing confidence in by the second. And suddenly the room begins to feel very warm, and the dress that was just a little too tight is very constricting and it's getting harder to breathe. And I look up, and he's stopped talking. And I reach into my pocket to pull out the card, and I faint. <laughs> I pass out. When I wake up, the room is full of people. The attending doctor is back in, and she's lifting up my legs to get blood to my head, and I'm trying to check my pocket for the card, <laughs> and at the same time, keep the skirt that's just a little too short from flying up. And she sees me trying to fix my skirt, and she yells at my eye doctor, and she's like, Dr. Goodman, get behind her. Don't worry, I won't let him get fresh with you. <laughs> and I'm like, I wish you would get fresh with me. <laughs> so they wheel me over to the emergency room. The doctors run all sorts of tests. My roommate parents show up. And they're like, so, like, did you do it? <laughs> no, I faint.
<laughs> and the, the doctors bring the test results back, and they, of course they don't find anything because there's nothing wrong with me physically. <laughs> and my parents take me home to the family group house And I never saw the doctor again. I know. <laughs> I did go back to playing soccer. I have to wear rec specs, which I found are a primitive but highly effective form of birth control. <laughs> so I've not met anyone that way either. But. I'm keeping my good eye open. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Dispatches. I'm Morgan Givens, a storyteller and performer in Washington, D.C. I'm going to bring you a story that explores the countless moments and connections we all share. Moments that often go untold because they might not fit who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, or where we think we're going. These stories will last no more than 15 minutes. And our story this week is called Promises. Listen, I stare down at the woman in front of me her hand still cuffed, trying to hold on to the tremulous trust that flowed between us as I placed the battered teddy bear she had knocked to the floor in a fit of rage back on her lap. Watched her fingers grasp at it, twist its matted fur. Now, I know this isn't what you wanted, and I'm sorry, I am, but I just got hired at Bath and Body Works. It's the first job I've had in five years, and now you're going to get me fired. You promised. No, I didn't promise. Knew instinctively that I hadn't. I never promised anyone anything. A habit formed long ago during childhood in the wake of an absent father who always promised to show up. Promised to be there, promised to love, and I had promised her nothing. But I did say I would take you somewhere to get help. Her eyes drifted to the darkened walls, streaked with the hands of all those who had entered this one room, who had yelled their curses, spat at their accosters, demanded to be released. Before they slid slowly back to mine, venom dripping from them, running in rivers down her cheeks, settling in damp acidic pools on the fabric of her shirt as she took in the wails of the others. The screams of treatment started and failed. What help is there here? I glanced at my partner, silently beseeching, and he shrugged, looked away, leaving me to navigate those murky waters as the dispatcher's voice echoed through my police radio. 2021, are you still unseen? 2021, yes ma'am, hold us here. 
I copy. Time check. What's going on with her? The doctor stepped into the room, his face a mask of arrogance, his voice as hard as his body was soft with years of inactivity, and he didn't even look at her. Kept his back turned, addressed us as if she weren't there, rendered her completely invisible, obsolete. Maybe you should ask her. I'm asking you. And I'm not the patient. You're the doctor. So do your job and talk to her. He ignored me. His upper lip curled in derision and I felt it. Felt the slow forming waves of anger begin to crest within me, took a step towards him and my partner grasped my arm, stepped in front of me as he spoke. Doc, look, we got a call for this lady. She's bipolar, depressed and talking about hurting herself. Been off her meds for like two months. Then went and assaulted her caseworker, and now we're trying to get her some help so she doesn't get kicked out of the homeless halfway house she just got into. So help us find a way around that. (laughs) Great. Another violent one. Finally, his gaze fell to her. So why'd you do it? Why'd you beat up your caseworker? She was just trying to help you. I didn't do that. He's lying. Her face fell, crumpled in on itself as her world-weary eyes locked on to me. You're all lying. Everybody is lying when you said you'd help. The teddy bear slipped silently to the ground as she began to writhe and thrash, bucking in her seat as a crowd of nurses rushed in, forcing her sleeve up. There was a glint of thin steel that disappeared quickly into the corded flesh of her arm. Her eyes bulged, foot kicked out, dropping the doctor as it caught him at the knee. Restrain her! His voice echoed throughout the room, reverberating with pain, more emotion than he had shown since he first entered. He stumbled back to his feet, barked in our direction. Always the violent ones. Always the criminals. What the hell has this place become? You promised me. Her voice a thin whisper. The tension in her body snapping with broken trust. Whatever medicine they pumped into her running its course as she slumped unmoving into the chair. You all can go. The doctor dismissing us. Yeah, but but what about her? Gibbons, come on, forget it. My partner again, tugging on my sleeve as we went to retrieve our firearms from the lockbox, and they always made us put them away when we entered the city's emergency psychiatric unit, a place made more for caging than healing with its yellowed walls peeling paint, a receptacle for the hopelessly unwanted. Facilities never instituted rules until something terrible happened, and my mind ran rampant, conjuring up the horror that must have unfolded for this rule to exist. I hope she's going to be okay. I climbed into the patrol car, slamming the door behind me, watched my partner clamor in next to me. (laughs) Now you know we'll see her again in a month or so. Rinse, wash, 
Repeat. <laughs> Maybe. I saw her in less than one week. Standing outside the local convenience store as I exited, steaming cup of coffee in my hand felt my breath hitch in my throat. Hey, uh, how are you? I'm, I'm not sure if you remember me. She turned to look at me, her eyes moving over my face, slipping over my features, oil on water locking onto nothing before she grasped the handle of her suitcase and began walking away, the wheels clattering over the rocky asphalt as the sky split. Venting its grief with unrelenting tears, her head bowed as she moved further away. In her other hand, the same teddy bear, its belly rent, losing pieces of itself along the way, cotton that fell sodden to the ground, left behind and forgotten.
I like your shirt. Thank you so much. My, my son gave me this for Father's Day yesterday. Oh, I really? Said, Why you give me a poop with a smiley face? <laughs> what did he say? He, I, I, he told me I was full of shit. <laughs> no. Okay, well, do you want to stay anonymous? You want to tell me your name? I'm gonna tell you my name. Okay, what's your name? My name is Miguel Nars. M A G A L E N A R C E. And you just admitted to doing something illegal and you're giving me your full name, so. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> this is completely illegal what I'm doing. So, why are you doing it anyway? Uh, to make a living. I live like seven blocks away from the White House. And what goes on around here is that the prices, the inflation of the prices of living, renting units is so expensive. It's too expensive. You gotta, you, you gotta come out here and do something to make a living. I school waters and Gatorade. You make enough to live on selling water and Gatorade? Yes, ma'am. I, I can sort of make it like about four, five hundred dollars a day. What you want? Easily. Wow, that's pretty good. Let me just take it. I'm doing an interview for CNN. <laughs> You see her they're recording. Ask me more questions while I hustle, man. What <laughs> you want, right. five of them? Thank you so much. Thank God you. bless you, sir. Yeah, so it's basically it's a, it's a living and, and, you know, it's the way of life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is how I eat. Hey, right here, folks. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it, my friend. So I'm a part of the Secret Service family. They know me. There's so many of them, though. All of them don't know me, but, you know, majority of them know me. Yeah. And they let you sell water because you bring them water. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I, I, I do a good deed. They be in that damn boot ball caught up, and I make sure they are. I make sure they hydrated good. <laughs> so are you from D.C.? Yes, ma'am. Born and raised. In, where in D.C.? Uh, right up here on 7th and O Street, 7th and N Street, Northwest. What did you want to be when you grew up, when I you were younger? A comedian, which I was. I was good what I did. I was a professional comedian before I got shot. I got shot by a close friend of the family. That's mine. Wow. Back in 1998. And all of a sudden, once that guy shot me, it, 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 it switched my brain. So, you know, I stopped doing comedy. I, I, I owe people money because they would send me money before I get to the spot and do the shows. I would be booked up at two, three months ahead of time and paid. Not in full, but I got the rest of my money when I got there. So, so I went into a bipolar state for like about 12, 13 years. Yeah. Were you shot in the head? No, I was shot in the arm, my arm. So it wasn't... I was, I was shot in my arm right here, and it went out my back. And it landed in my back right Oh, my right God, here. yeah, yeah. Back yeah, to that scar, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So were you at your home when this happened? I was outside. Uh -huh. You didn't expect just, just telling jokes, and the guy got in his feelings, and we got to fight. I beat him up. He reached in his pocket. I pushed my... They didn't have a big bag. Okay. He reached in his pockets and, and, and um, pulled out a gun and started shooting. Did he shoot anybody else? No, nah, just me. What did it feel like to be shot? 
it felt disrespectful. I felt it very disrespectful, especially by the person who shot. I felt it very, very disrespectful. Have you heard this story before? I heard this. out of sight wars and stuff like that because I knew something would be I right in my head. Gatorade. Then I started using drugs heavily. <laughs> Not where as though it was messing up my demeanor and living, but I was just doing unhappy drugs. <laughs> See, before I got shot, I was doing happy drugs. What are happy drugs? Happy drugs is meaning you getting high and you feeling all right, you're loving everything about it. Every time you take a hit. So, you know, when... when when the drug wasn't fun no more, I was I was upset. I was like, this shit used to be fun to me. You know, now it ain't even fun. I wasn't even happy. This was after you got shot. You couldn't get high anymore. It just changed I couldn't get something. high. I couldn't get high no more. I was just wasting money. So it took me through like a little mental thing, man. You know. Did it? Does it hurt to get shot? Yeah, it hurt. It's a, it's more psychological. Yeah. I didn't feel that shit. I ain't feel that shit till the day. You know, I ain't feel it. I took the bullet out my back. You took it out? I took it out my back. With it, was your... sitting on, it was sitting on the top of my flesh. And the guy at Howard University Hospital ice cold, ice cold. talking about, now nah, we just going to let it leave it in. So I go in the bathroom in the hospital room. I'm looking. I'm like, what? And I see the metal hanging out. I went like this in my flesh. And it popped out, and I gave it to the detective. You only got him a green Gatorade? Anybody that's Gatorade? Yeah, I got Gatorade right here. Did you think he was trying to kill you? Sure. Anybody pull out a gun and start shooting at you, sweetheart, they trying to kill you. That's defeating the purpose. People don't just shoot you and just say, shoot you in your leg and fit to try to teach you a lesson. When they find multiple shots at your ass, they trying to shoot, they trying to kill you. But it wasn't my time. Did you, were you tempted to go and get revenge? Did you want to go kill him? I wanted to. What? I did. Took a, took a lot of God. Took a lot of oh Lord Jesus. Sure I did. So what happened? But I, that never never been. I I've been around gangsters and all that shit all my well, life. You, but I choose not to live that lifestyle. But when that happened to me, I couldn't even tell the gangsters who shot them. Cause they would have killed him, and they would have killed this family. You know what I'm saying? Trying to get him. I got changed, Kevin. I got changed for hundred dollars. This is a business out here. We ain't in the hood. So, would you say that getting shot was like the biggest turning point in your life? Like, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to. Me. Tell me more about that. I don't really understand. I, I didn't understand it then. I understand it now. Because it, it got me around. It got me away from dangerous things that was probably lurking. It slowed me down. I, I, so I was sleeping. I was out there sleeping. It woke me up. You were headed for worse things. I was headed for worse things than that. Excuse me, I'm sorry, bro. How y'all doing? Oh my God, y'all attacking me. Oh, that's hurt. All these basketball players coming through here. Hey, how y'all like what LeBron James did yesterday? That's my cousin. Really? No. I still want to get it right.
That'll do it for this episode of the Goat Rodeo Variety Show. A big thank you to all of you for listening in. To find this show, along with all of our amazing lineup, go to GoatRodeoDC.com. And while you're there, join our mailing list. And if you're in D.C., be sure to check out our happy hours and events throughout the city. If you have something you'd like to share for the Variety Show, you can contact us at founders at GoatRodeoDC.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoatRodeoDC. The hilarious story you heard at the top was from Caitlin Riley, told live on stage at the Lincoln Theater as part of Story District's Sucker for Love show. Story District is a storytelling organization here in Washington, D.C. Their mission is to turn good stories into great performances. Their open mic storytelling series serves a sold-out crowd of over 300 people a month, with each night featuring true stories on a given theme. To learn more, go to storydistrict.org. Caitlin Riley is host and producer of Failure, a brand new show on the Goat Rodeo Network, a podcast about the side of life we don't talk about, our mistakes, missteps, and misfortunes. To find out more, you can go to goatrodeodc.com failure. Our second story came from the mind of Morgan Givens, a storyteller and performer here in Washington, D.C. That was a segment from Dispatches, another brand new show on the Goat Rodeo Network. To find out more, go to goatrodeodc.com dispatches. The band you heard was Fellow Creatures, a swampy indie rock band from Swampy, D.C. They like guitar synth, vocal harmonies, and putting pickups on toy pianos. Their self-titled debut album, Fellow Creatures, is one of the best sounds I have heard in a long, long time. Check them out. To hear more and find out where you can catch them live, go to www.fellowcreaturesmusic.com. That conversation was from Your Story Here, a podcast by Lizzie Peabody, principal producer on the Go Rodeo Network. You can catch your brand new season by searching Your Story Here on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. That'll do it for the Go Rodeo Variety Show. Be sure to check out next episode, where it might sound something like this. And tonight's perfect liar, please. I'm Ian Enright, and we're Goat Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us. Yeah.